is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. to this very special 100th episode of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am here every week this season to bring you episodes on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journeys. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Adoptive Mom, and I'm also on TikTok, silently binging home decor and cooking tutorials, so not really worth a follow, but I am there, so... Do with that what you want. Um, This episode is season seven, episode seven, and that makes episode 100 overall, y'all. You guys were so incredibly kind and generous this week on social media in celebrating 100 episodes with me. And now I get to announce the winners of the 100 episode contest. I asked you guys to share your favorite episode on your social pages and Natalie Vento, Meredith Reeves, and Jill Bruno were the winners of an AMP prize pack, which will include the not yet released all-in-one edition of our guest today, Shannon Guerra's Work That God Sees series. I'm so pumped to gift these to you guys. Um, Okay, so today we're learning all about Enneagram for Adoptive Moms, and as per usual, I am here for you to give an overview of the wistful and creative types that are the fours. All right, so the Enneagram fours are called the individualists or the romantics. They're motivated by a basic desire to hold significance and define themselves, and the basic fear of losing their identity or being considered as just part of the crowd, so to speak. Fours are the most emotional number on the Enneagram, and they protect their emotional needs above all else. They're driven by the desire to consistently maintain a certain mood or aesthetic in their life, and they're so incredibly good at bringing beauty into their lives and the lives of those around them. They're noted for their longing and daydreaming and occasional melodrama. Their deadly sin is envy, so they see themselves as ultimately defective and are on a seemingly unending journey to right that perceived wrong. The journey to ultimate healing for fours is found in the realization that the hole or gap that they constantly sense in their lives can only be filled with Jesus and that they are already unique and special and capital E enough. Four is the final number in the feelings or heart triad. They, like the two and three, are driven by emotions, but unlike the two and three, they internalize these feelings. They are thinking repressed, which does not mean that they don't think, of course. It just means that their productive thinking is their least utilized instinct, much like the one. Unlike the one, however, they are part of the withdrawn stance, meaning that they utilize their ability to retreat into themselves to maintain their desired emotional state, as opposed to externalizing their emotions like the twos or ignoring their emotions like the threes. So fours can either wing to three or to five. Fours with a three wing are called the aristocrat. They are more driven by the need to stand out and be different than their wing five counterparts. They tend to be more energetic and bubbly in attempts to attain individuality. Fours with a five wing are called the bohemian. They are more concerned with their individual impact on the world and the greater good than the wing threes. 
They are characterized by being more laid back and reserved and will withdraw more in order to figure themselves out. Let's dive into Enneagram 4's subtypes or variants. Self-preservation fours are known for being more reckless, aggressive, and happy. To use un-PC terms, they will often be considered to be a bit weird, kooky, or out there. Social fours are known for being a bit more withdrawn and frustrated because they are usually more socially aware. They hold themselves up against a comparison to be how other people act and how fours perceived them to feel. Social fours will tend to feel that gap more intensely than other subtypes and be more frustrated with their inability to close that gap. Sexual fours also compare themselves to others, but will become more competitive within their relationships, both personal and professional, to level the metaphorical playing field. They will work harder to ease the pain of comparison. In stress, fours go to two, the helper, which we learned about a few weeks ago. They will flip the script on themselves and instead of internalizing those feelings of theirs, they will try to outwork them through service, trying to gain that love and affection they feel a deficit of through people-pleasing. In security, however, fours go to one, the reformer, which we have already talked about in the series. They will learn to organize their creativity and implement it to bring love and beauty and harmony and all the good things inside of them to the world around them. So y'all, this is where I go in stress, which we learned from Suzanne is actually a healing move for us to make in the Enneagram. So I'm super psyched for this conversation and who better to have it with than Shannon Guerra, who you may remember from episode 74. You guys went nuts over her episode last time and my inbox was flooded with love for her and her incredible book, Upside Down, Understanding and Supporting Attachment in Adoptive Families. Shannon is a beautiful, creative, and thoughtful example of an Enneagram 4 and I can't wait for you guys to hear all about it. But first, I want to thank you all once again for the love and support for 100 episodes. I am so humbled by your support and the love you show me consistently and constantly through this little community we have built together. And here's to 100 more. Okay, let's go talk to Shannon Guerra. Hey, Shannon Guerra, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Thanks. It's good. Yes. Um, I am really excited to have you back. You will not believe, like, I, after your last episode aired, I got so many DMs, so many, like, people reaching out saying that your book changed their adoption story, changed their life. Um, and this time we get to talk about the Enneagram, which I'm Really excited about your episode because um, just personally, I go to you in stress. So there's some connections hmm. there, but you are a four, right. correct? Uh-huh. All right. So yep. maybe, bef- okay, before we get into like nerding out on the Enneagram, just remind us <laughs> who you are and what you do. Okay. Who I am. I am a writer. I am a mom of eight kids. I have been married for 23 years, which makes me oldish. You don't look and, it. And, and I'm oldish because I have a 19-year-old who moved out of the house now. So that's kind of fun. Oh, um, my goodness. So you only yeah, have to clean up after seven kids now? What's that? You only have to clean yeah, up after? Yeah, only seven. And my husband only. works from home. So, you know, we take turns running after them. 
And, um, you know, there's two of us, so we're still outnumbered, but we can run zone defense and it works okay. Yeah. So fun. So as we're recording, it's still, uh, you know, in the time of COVID and who knows when this airs, it might still be in the time of COVID. Um, I don't know how that's hit in, um, Alaska, but it has been really like you did, you know, reading books aloud and you've done like some cool devotional Uh things. So it's been kind of fun to watch your Instagram during this time, even though it's thanks. Yeah. We were the first state to reopen. So we're free and, um, you know, we still have some cases, but they're testing everyone that comes through the airport and we have an international airport, you know, in Anchorage. So, um, so I think that's where we're getting a lot of the spike in cases. If you test everyone, you're going to get a lot more positive. So, but everything is pretty normal here. Now we're doing church and everything. Oh my goodness. So Arkansas, where I live, we never went shelter in place. Like we were never actually quarantined. We were just Mm-hmm. social distance mandates. Um, but then we're yeah. in phase one of opening back up and we are now like, I feel like we're the kid in the principal's office because the CDC is having to come visit us because people, oh. people went, um, crazy. And so now we're like oh. the fourth most spike in the country, just in like my little okay. corner of the state. So anyway, we're, okay. we're being, uh, we're being scolded basically. Oh, Naughty, naughty. I know. I know. Um, So, okay. Like I said, you are a four. Tell us what is a four. Okay. So from what I understand, fours are different. And it's not like, um, I mean, we're all special. Everyone is special. Every single one of you is special in your own way. Just like everyone else, right? (laughs) Okay. So, um, but fours are called the individualists because they're very different and not... um, not like in an attention-seeking kind of way, but it looks like we perceive the world as though we don't fit in. Um, a lot of us um, apparently feel like we never fit in in our family growing up. We felt like the odd personnel or the black sheep. Um, so, so it doesn't make us any more special, but we really feel that sort of um, not quite fitting in-ness more mm-hmm. than other people probably. And... Um, and so as a result of that, uh, fours often are trying to figure out their place in the world, their purpose, um, which was amazing to me as I, as I read that, because the thing that I have written about on my blog for years is purpose. And, um, and over the last several years, um, moving in my writing toward more devotional writing, I write a lot about our identity, which um, fours tend to focus a lot on their identity. And in an unhealthy way, they can... Um, they can do a lot of, I don't know if it's masking necessarily, but they can, they can try on a lot of identities. And sometimes that's an unhealthy thing. Sometimes it's not just trying new interests. Sometimes it's like trying to take on this new persona, which um, isn't necessarily genuine. And I don't think they're trying to do it out of, a, out of a disingenuous way. I think they're genuinely just trying to figure out their place in the world. And the amazing thing is that as a Christian, we know that um, our identity doesn't change, you know, who we are and, um, what our value and worth is, has never changed. You know, it doesn't change based on what we do or um, what we think or how people treat us. We're always of that great worth and value. So, um, for me, that has probably been a huge saving grace in my life, knowing that, understanding that and continuing to pursue understanding that more. 
Yeah. Well, and I love that without really, without using like stress and security language, you just described what fours do in stress and security, which is really cool because it, it sounds more genuine. Um, just that you were saying you, you adapt to different identities, which is, you know, fours go to two and stress. And so you, mm-hmm. you become more people focused and more like, mm-hmm. um, you're deflecting your emotions by pouring them into other people. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. Like I said, I love that you didn't even use that language. It was just like a genuine, this is what we do. Um, I'm curious. So I've heard, again, I'm not a four, but I do go to four in stress. But um, mm-hmm. I've heard that fours either really love the Enneagram because it gives them a sense of belonging be- that they have never felt before, or they hate the Enneagram because they you wore that sense of outsidership as a badge of honor. And so they don't like hearing mm. other people feel the same way they do. Which camp do you lie in? <laughs> How dare you be as special as I am? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess I'm, for me, I'm still learning about the Enneagram. So yeah, I can totally see how that would work either way. I, I tend to know more about the Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. and I even looked up my, like how many fours are, are my Myers-Briggs type? Not very many, like the, the third least common. So if you do all the, there's 16 Myers-Briggs types, there's nine, any, okay, so do the math. Anyway, there's not very many people like me, which, okay, for a four, it's like, wow, I'm super special. <laughs> but really, it's just, it's fun to kind of figure out, you know, like, what is the difference and why, what does it really mean for me? It doesn't, it doesn't define me, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it might help validate things, you know, like if I grew up always feeling like I didn't fit in, oh, this kind of helps explain that. And um, it, in a way, if it's normal-ish, then it's okay. It's not like I'm not completely broken. You know, the world isn't completely broken and I do kind of fit in it. Yeah. So it's nice to have a pattern that you see that you kind of click into. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's really cool to hear. I think that, um, I think it's really awesome that the Enneagram is starting to give people language to be able to, um, describe themselves to other people that, um, I don't know, can give a, give us empathy for each other and, you know, just to make Mm -hmm. it about me for a second. So like I said, a couple times now, I'm a one, we go to four in stress. And before, uh, this past season that I'm kind of like coming out of right now, um, before that, I, I think I held a little bit of judgment for fours because I think as a one, I, we, you know, learned from a very young age to keep our very real, very like numerous emotions under a tight wrap. And so I think that I held judgment for force because I was like, how can they just be so emotional and raw and like forthcoming with their feelings when I have to be so put together? And I went through this really, really tough season over the past year, just a lot of things happening, um, not to mention just adoption season in general. Um, and mm-hmm. I've been hanging out in that four space so much more. And what I loved about talking uh, to Suzanne Stabile uh, earlier in the season was that we can, we can actually see the good parts and the beauty of our stress numbers. And so it has made me appreciate fours, um, so much more. So it's been really fun to learn Hmm. about you guys and to, uh, feel Hmm. that connection. Um, yeah. So on that note, how do you think that you, um, I don't know, how do you think that your foreness like, uh, influence your desire to adopt and the adoption process? Um, that's a weird question because of course, back then I didn't know I was a four. So this is all like 
hmm, how do I apply this to there? Um, I think, I think partly feeling like we didn't fit in, mm-hmm. you know, um, made it not so crazy to do something even more out of the box. Uh, our family tends to be pretty out of the box anyway. We do a lot of weird, I, I guess, weird stuff. Um, <laughs> we we're not risk averse. We've taken a lot of big risks and, um, mostly it's worked so far. I mean, we're all alive. So, um, so I think when we adopted, we didn't just adopt one kid. We adopted two at the same time from a foreign country, extremely high special needs. Um, that of course we didn't, um, you know, they don't tell you everything in the beginning of the process. You find out once you meet the kiddo that, wow, this isn't, this, this doesn't match everything they fit in their profile and all their information that they gave us. So, um, I think maybe that made it a little easier at least to, um, to take all that on to feel like, yeah, we can do this. We're already, we're already a little weird. What's, what's (laughs) a little bit more weirdness, you know, we're already different. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So you go to one in security, which is very tight. I mean, that's me. It's very type A, very organized, very structured, perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. And then you go to two, which is all about service and stress. So it looks like, it seems like on paper all the way around, you are very suited for adoption. So during the actual mm-hmm. like adoption process, what do you think you identified more? Were you like the, uh, you know, getting all the paperwork in as, you know, as soon as you got the email? Yeah. Or... So the high achiever yeah. stuff. Yeah. Although there was a lot of procrastination on there too. So <laughs> You know, of course, we regretted later on. You know, we're like, our kids are languishing in an orphanage. Why did we procrastinate on paperwork when, you know, before we had their faces in mind and everything? So there was that. Um, But yeah, the high achiever, um, get her done of the one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the helper side, the setting my my own stuff aside, well, um, we adopted from a foreign country signing paperwork that we could not read. So, okay, I'm just going to trust that the Lord is in control of this and that... um, this bilingual representative is not lying to me or, you know, doing something awful. Um, I'm going to set aside all my own fears and put those in their own box because that's what we do sometimes. Um, and all my stuff isn't going to matter because there's a higher priority. So yeah, I can see that how that happened also. Do you think that, um, do you think that you guys' decision to go a non-traditional route for adoption through, you know, a foreign country that, uh, what do you think that that had anything to do with your personality? just wanting to be different? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I guess. Although when we decided it, it was because we wanted to adopt more than one child, which might key into the different part. And then the particular country that we adopted from ended up being one of the few countries that we could do that through more easily. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. Well, hmm. um, shifting to now a little bit, how do you think that your foreignness influences your parenting now? Everyone stateside you got lots of kids at home. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, and we're eight years into the adoption. So, um, I think how it has played out is, um, okay. So going back to the always feeling different once we adopted and we were incredibly different, um, not just because we had adopted, but because we had extremely difficult special needs that other people did not understand. And that's what we talked about on our other podcast, you know, that, um, our kiddos had, um, several special needs, but the main ones 
were attachment issues, which attachment issues are an invisible special need. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what they are, you're not going to pick up on it. And you're just going to think they're these cute, charming children and not realize all of the turmoil that's going on behind closed doors in the home. Um, We felt incredibly misunderstood and um, not just different, but we felt like nobody else in the world understood what our family was going through. And that's what I hear from readers who've read Upside Down. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like nobody understood this. So there's, um, I think in adoption, we all kind of defer to a little bit of foreignness there where we feel like um, this is so different. We've never heard people talk about this hardly ever before. This is not what they show in the movies or in the books. Um, And and so we're trying to navigate something that feels very much like um, pioneer territory. And we don't have necessarily examples to follow. And we're just kind of figuring this out on our own. And nobody gets it. And not only does nobody get it half the time, but they all think they get it. And then they're in their kindness and what they perceive as kindness. They're working against what we're trying to do. And so that is incredibly difficult. And I think... Um, as a four, that just sort of flowed into my own feeling of nobody has ever really understood me. Um, I don't really feel like I fit in perfectly anywhere. Um, and now I know I don't fit in perfectly anywhere because we can't even go to a Sunday service at church without having something blow up once we get home. Right. So there's that. And I think that's so familiar to a lot of adoptive families, though. Oh, for sure. So how do you think that that translates into just the, I mean, you're in the heart triad and, um, out of all of the, um, out of all of the nine types, you are the most overtly emotional. Uh, how do you think that that translates with adoption in your life? For me, um, I do deal with a lot of like wholeness and, and understanding now, um, on a healthy side, um, that our feelings are not our boss. So I do a lot of you know, when I do have those big feelings, um, lots of preaching to myself that our feelings are, um, they're important, but they are not the boss of us. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily define truth. I can feel excluded. And yet that's probably not really the case. I can feel completely misunderstood and like nobody really wants to take the time to understand our family. That's not really necessarily the full truth. So, but that's a long journey to get there, to get to a a place of wholeness to where you understand that your own feelings are only a very, very small piece of the puzzle. Yeah, girl. That sounds very familiar. Um, yeah, <laughs> but also like, I don't know, that's, this is, this is super healthy. And I think that to all the four mamas listening, I think that that's, you know, hashtag goals or whatever to get to that place. Because I think, um, yeah. just from what I've heard, not allowing emotions to rule you is really, really difficult. And like I said, coming out yeah. a really hard season where I lived in that four zone for a long time, though that's right. so real. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so difficult to pull yourself mm-hmm. out of that cycle. Um, yeah. Especially in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So I don't know how, what an encouraging word for moms just to hear that there's hope that there's not that, that your emotions or your feelings don't have to define you or run your life, um, that they mm-hmm. can be healthy and serve as a map, but not, you know, the exact way to go. Um, right. Okay. So shifting to, um, more specific parenting, how do you think that your personality as a four relates to your kids, different personalities? And, um, specifically, if you could kind of go into the kid that you struggle with the most, um, why do you think that is in relation to the Enneagram? 
Okay, so to answer the second question first, with the kid I struggle with the most, he is the one who has the most attachment issues we deal with, and that's why I struggle with him the most. And relating to him, I realized, um, like, I, I never would have been able to write upside down um, with the insight I was able to do, and I'm not saying that in a bragging way, but just because um, after we adopted him and as we started dealing with all of these attachment issues, I was able to identify with so many of them. So I was able to pick up on his manipulation and all these things because I recognized so much similarity in my own childhood and even growing up and feeling like I couldn't trust people and, um, and just with that background of trauma. So even though he came from this crazy extreme background of trauma and I did not, there was enough there that I could relate to, that I could completely see through a lot of his stuff. And sometimes that plays out in, in an ability for me to have compassion on him when I wouldn't normally necessarily. Other times, um, it means that I can completely see through his stuff and I'm like, kid, I am not falling for this. I have got your number. I know exactly what you are doing and I am not falling for it. So that's helpful. I think, wouldn't it be nice if we could never fall for what our kids try to dish out to us? Um, (laughs) yes, doesn't always work, but sometimes, um, and then with the other kids, I don't know. I mean, we have so many kids. There's like a bazillion of them in this house. There's like, there's only seven now, but there's so many of them and a couple of them are still really young. So, um, your grocery, you know, it's different. Yeah. In, in Alaska, you know how much milk costs up here? It's like twenty dollars. No, it's not. It's like five dollars a gallon. <laughs> I pay like one ninety two a gallon. That's crazy. <laughs> there is cheaper milk that we can get, but the good stuff is five dollars a gallon. Goodness. So, yeah, I think maybe just I don't know. Remembering that they're all unique. I mean, we all try to do that as moms, right? So, yeah, and trying to remember that. Um, My kiddos, as we are raising them now, our biological kids have had a healthy, relatively, you know, normal upbringing in spite of the fact that, you know, we have adopted and they have also given up a lot with um, having siblings who have some really difficult special needs. It has been their mission also. So they have walked alongside us with that. Um, Just trying to give them the credit they deserve for having their own different upbringing that is also unique. It's not cookie cutter. None of us are really a cookie cutter, but um, to give them credit for what they're going through. Yeah. So shifting a little bit to marriage and and parenting and how how that bond relates to parenting. What is your what is your husband's enneagram number? I don't know. He's probably the healthy sort. I have no idea. I haven't actually tested him. And he's also the sort who resists it. So like, I know what his Myers-Briggs is and, um, and he teases me and he says, oh yeah, that's the SPCA or whatever. He'll come up with some stupid acronym and, and tease me. So, uh, I don't know. Sorry. It's okay. Statistically, people who super resist personality typing, um, are usually Uh fives or eights. They don't want to be put in boxes. Okay. So that makes me wonder. Right. Eight's the challenger and yeah. five's the, the investigator. Okay. He's probably the investigator. Mm-hmm. Is he more reserved? And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very reserved. Yep. Lots of learning. Low energy. Yeah. Um, low energy and kind of like hoards emotional resources. Like he doesn't. Um, yeah. Like if he doesn't have the capacity to do too much social interaction or if he knows he has social interaction, if he like stores up that energy. 
to put into mm-hmm. that. Does that sound like him? Yeah. He has enough extrovert that he can pull out of his back pocket if he has to help in youth group. Yes. But other than that. What do you, cool. what is, uh, how do you think your foreness just pairs with um, his personality and how does that altogether influence your parenting together? Okay. Well, okay. Assuming he's a five, which is probably true and understanding uh, his type in Myers-Briggs, which is also very similar to mine. So fours and five, like I, when I was doing the test, once I came up as a five, but usually I come up as a four. So I think we're pretty similar, could be a four um, wing five. which probably helps us. Yeah. I am a four wing five. Yes, that's true. So, um, so I think we understand a lot of what the other person is going through. Um, and yet we are just different enough to not drive each other completely crazy. So, um, for example, he has like, from my own background of difficult stuff, he has probably been the, like the most behind the scenes hero therapist ever. You know, for example, I remember, um, watching this one movie. Um, I won't even say what it is. It's a good movie, but the thing <laughs> now you have to tell that us. triggered me in this movie. Oh, okay. So I watched the help. Okay. okay and, okay. and the help for me, um, this was years ago. This was probably when it was first out, when it was first on, you know, on video. So we watched it and there's this point in the help where, um, and me as a non-feeler, not generally a crier, all of a sudden in the movie, I like lost it. I wasn't, I don't even think I was pregnant and hormonal or anything. I just like started crying and he turned off the movie and he said, it's this, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. And he knew what it was that triggered me. He knew it was like this awful, um, situation relationship I had dealt with that was so traumatic in my past. And even in, in that time, um, but he understood that. So he was able to put his finger on, on the thing that I couldn't even see. Cause I was like, I don't even know why I'm crying. And he's like, it's this. I'm like, oh. So, um, the help great movie. Don't ever need to see it again. I mean, I recommend it to other people, but I don't need to watch it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, in a good marriage, you know, we're, we're able to, and in any good friendship, we're able to see things for each other that we can't see on our own. We're just too close. So yeah, I think that's kind of how that works often on the healthy sense yeah. in the unhealthy sense, you know, we're enough alike that, yeah, we drive each other nuts sometimes, <laughs> but yeah. Um, how do you think that, that, translates into your parenting? How do you guys work together to deal with, I mean, kids from hard, really hard places? Well, this morning we were texting each other while sitting next to each other on the couch. (laughs) The kid's right there. He can't hear what we're talking about. So he's texting me and I'm texting him and we're both like looking back and forth. (laughs) Listen guys, that's a real marriage. This is modern parenting. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, that's the millennium here. Um, I don't know. I think we just, you know, we're, we're trying to both understand where the other person comes from. And I just don't know that any of that is specific to a four. I feel like this is just healthy stuff that we are always trying to, to, to work with other couples on, you know, we communicate in an adoptive family. Um, we learned so much more about over communicating and really, honestly, we're still learning that, you know, you think, you think you say something to someone and you think they get it or they aren't really listening, but they say, uh-huh. And so you assume that they understood it. And then later you find out you weren't listening to me at all. <clears throat> and then you become this dragon wa- dragon wife, mommy person. Um, sure. Yeah. So we're still learning that. But in an adoptive family, we have learned to 
extremely minutely over communicate things because we need to know things like I told this child this particular thing that he can do only at this time and he knows it and I need to make sure that you know it so he knows that I know that you know that he knows this because otherwise he's going to yank the rug out from under you and he's going to know that you know I mean just this ridiculous level of precise communication and so uh in a way, that's been super healthy for our marriage. But on the other side, that's super hard. That's really aggravating. And it leads to a lot of conflict that we wouldn't normally have if we didn't have to do that. Yeah. Okay. So shifting, um, shifting eyes back on you, what do you, how do you think that you being a four um, and just the specific uh, intricacies of your personality – How does that influence your needs as a mom and a wife and just a woman in general? Okay. Um, As a wife, it means I need him to understand me where I'm coming from, which means, um, I mean, wives, we tend to have more words than our husbands do anyway, but it means I need him to listen to me and um, give me an opportunity to verbally process stuff that I can't figure out on my own. So um, that's how that has worked. As a friend, what did you say? As a wife, as a mom, as a friend, as a something? As I was a, just saying as a woman, okay. just like uh, Anything. your okay. needs, self-care, all of it. Yeah, okay. Um, self-care-wise, I, I mean, I'm a writer, and that has probably been a huge thing because even when I feel like nobody else understands, I can write things down on paper. I know that the Lord understands. I'm an intercessor, and I pray, and so um, it helps me to you know, just come to a a place of peace, knowing that, well, if the Lord is really the only person that understands, if even Vince doesn't understand where I'm coming from, I still have the Lord and that's okay. Um, I don't need anybody else to perfectly understand what's going on in my mind or how I'm trying to process this situation. Um, and, and that's fine. Generally, like even as a friend, as an introvert person, I I only have a handful of really close people, probably less than a handful of people who I would pour stuff out to. Mm. And, um, and that changes honestly over our lifetimes anyway, you know, like the close friends that I had 10 years ago, most of those have moved away. And so now my closest friends, um, not that those friends aren't still close to me, but we don't talk as often. So, um, just processing through life and seasons and change and everything, um, knowing that I don't need a ton of people. And, and honestly, as an introvert, I don't want a ton of people to be in my business to know everything that's going on. I only have a couple closest friends who I would pour everything out to. And, and honestly, since there's a couple of them, they still, neither of them get everything. <laughs> I guess I try to, you know, divert, you know, this person knows this and this person knows that. And I don't want to burden all my junk onto both of them. So I, I guess we try to um, spread it out evenly and, and not make any one person deal with too much junk. But um, yeah, and I don't know, for example, you know, maybe that's different for fours who are extroverts. Um or for fours who have less kids. And, you know, maybe I I think a big part of being an introvert for me is that we have so many kids. And so I am done with the touching and the talking. You know, I I get so much of that throughout the day that I don't really have as much energy for that um, outside the home. 
So, so maybe that's different for extroverts or for even introvert moms who only have one or two or three kids. So, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense just knowing that you're a four wing five, because I know that, you know, four wing three or the performer, um, I think that even even less so than the whole extrovert versus introvert thing, I think that what I know about fours is that you guys don't even know how to be inauthentic. You guys are authentic and truly yourselves to the core. And so it makes sense, you know, a four wing three or just a mom who's more extroverted might be able to be that real with a lot of different people. But it makes sense that yeah. you as a four wing five, maybe that five kicks in where you only have the capacity to be as real as you only know how to be with a couple mm-hmm. people. So I don't know. That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to be not real. It's just that I, I don't have the energy to be that open with all those other people. And I don't, and maybe too, it's because as a four, I feel like different. I feel like maybe they won't understand, or there's only, you know, a few really special people who are close who really do get the weirdness that I am. Maybe that's a four thing, you know, but yeah, it's just very much a, I don't know, maybe a value for privacy. Yeah. I think that's cool. Okay. So shifting into some of these closing questions, um, what just, this one's just kind of for fun, but what do you think is the most overtly four thing about you? Uh, I don't know. I'm nerdy. I, I don't know. Maybe the fact that I don't know the answer to that would be a very four thing because suddenly that's an identity question, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to overanalyze and, um, you know, give me some time to overthink on that and I'll get back to you. <laughs> I don't know. From the outside, probably it's probably it. that you're a creative. Like all of the fours I know are so creative. Um, yeah, there, there's great. a lot of, yeah, there would be that. Love yes, it. that's a good answer. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, I just know that we benefit from that creativity, your readers. So, um, okay. So what is your favorite and least favorite thing about being a four? Uh, my favorite thing it probably is that creativity and just being able um, at this point in my life to understand that that is definitely um, not just a part of my personality, but it's a gifting that God gave me. So it's my calling to pursue that which means yeah. I don't have to feel guilty in pursuing that. Um, I can feel like this is me obeying the Lord in being creative because that's what he made me to do. Um, so that's probably my favorite thing because that's really where I come alive is, um, you know, making something new, writing a new book or um, working, you know, collaborating with other people. So those are the things that just make my socks roll up and down. Uh, my least favorite thing is probably just the feeling misunderstood, the feeling like, you know, feeling like I never really fit in anywhere. And I know that I do fit in in certain places. Like, I mean, we were we were at a, a gathering yesterday with um, with staff from church um, and I know I kind of fit in, but at the same time, I feel like I don't, you know, and that's kind of the case in any situation. You know, if I'm in a group of three or four of my closest friends, even my closest friends, I'll feel like the one that doesn't fit in, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm the one that's quieter. I'm the one that is not thinking about these situations the way they're thinking about it. Um, and that's okay, but it does, you know, it requires me to 
to reflect on that and to remind myself that it's okay instead of just feeling resentful. I don't want to be a bitter, resentful person. And I, and I don't want to be the kind of person that is a self pity party person. So, um, but yeah, recognizing it's okay to be different or to even just feel different and to recognize that maybe I'm not as different as I feel like I am. Mm, Yeah. That's good stuff. Um, what do you wish that every four mom knew about her number going into adoption? Mm, um, that <laughs> this might not be encouraging, that it's okay to feel different and you will probably continue to feel even more different after you have adopted. And like all of those differences that you feel are going to, many of them are going to probably become brighter and more vivid and more colorful in your life. You're going to recognize things that you had maybe only had as a passing thought as hmm, that feels a little, little different. And suddenly you're going to be like, oh my gosh, you know, this is extremely now a big part of my life, this being different. And to remember that that's okay, that the Lord designed us to deal with different things differently and different is okay. Yeah. One thing that I've loved hearing about um, fours and adoption is you guys' incredible capacity to deal with with trauma and sadness and just hard stuff because you're not uncomfortable with those emotions. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that I like, there's a part of me that's jealous of that, that, that it's like, mm-hmm. I think that I want things to stay even keeled and on the, you know, equator of life so much. And um, from what I understand, you guys are, are comfortable with things being not that, and that you don't feel the need mm-hmm. to bring it back to the top constantly. Um, which is really cool. It's a really neat gift that you guys can hand to your kids from hard places. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I'm just like, oh, thanks. It made me think of that meme that says, welcome to the jungle with a cat riding the unicorn and the chaos going in the background, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. You're like, this is fine. This is what we do. Um, it's fine. It's all fine. We're good. Yeah. Okay. What is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement uh, for Enneagram form? adoptive moms like that are, you know, on this side of adoption? Mm, I would encourage them to pray and get in the word. And if they don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to get to know Jesus because you will find a lot of peace there. (laughs) And um, Because the Lord knows us, you know, we are known and loved and understood in ways that we could never even ask for or imagine. And there's so much peace and purpose that comes in understanding that. Um, yeah. Without knowing that, I would be on the extremely unhealthy side of a four. And I can totally see that in myself. I can see that tendency. Um, but when I'm abiding and in the word and praying, um, he gives me a perspective on things that I cannot have on my own. And I need that. We all need that. My kids need me to have that. And that's the best service I can do for my family and my friends and my community and the people I minister to and my readers. Yeah. I mean, seriously. And I know I've said it already in this interview. What a gift that you guys, that you, not you guys, but that you are able to hand to, um, to all your readers, but specifically the ones who don't feel like they fit in or don't feel like anyone gets them. You're like, Hey, I do. So, um, just, yeah. which is what, you know, upside down is all about. So just right. really, yeah. really cool stuff. And, um, For those of you listening, Shannon and I are about to go have a fun conversation for Patreon supporters, which you can find at patreon.com slash the adoptive mom. But 
to leave us uh, here, Shannon, tell us where we can find you and um, yeah, read all, all the things from you. Okay. You can read all the things from me on my website at copperlightwood.com or you can go to shannongarra.com and it will send you to the same place. <laughs> I actually forgot that I got my name as a domain a couple of years ago and then I actually typed it in to see and I'm like, oh my gosh, I must have done that. <laughs> Super fun. Okay. I was more efficient than I thought I was. And then I completely forgot that I had done it. So that's where you can find my stuff. You can also find all my books in bookstores or on Amazon. Uh, we sell them directly and we give a discount for bulk purchases. Like for example, if you need to buy 10 copies of Upside Down for all of your in-laws who need to know like yesterday how to deal with your kids or how to not <laughs> deal with your kids, pro tip: come to our website. Yeah, we will hook you up. Um, yeah. And I'm on Facebook at copperlightwood.com and Instagram and I'm on Pinterest and yeah, not on Twitter. Okay. Haven't ever jumped off that cliff. I, I do, but it's just my Instagram like forwarded to Twitter. So sorry, Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. I have like, I know. not that many of you. Uh, yeah. okay. Well, Hey, thanks for joining us. This was like really, yeah. really, really cool. I loved this conversation. so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom Thanks for joining us.